Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath July 22nd, we look at Lesson 4, How God Rescues Us. Together with Dr. John Brunt, let's look at Chapter 2 of Ephesians and see the most beautiful gospel story. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at the Adventist Learning Community. Together, we love learning and have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into the study. All right, here we are at Lesson 4 with our special and honored guest, Dr. John Brunt, with us once again, and how God rescues us. And our memory text comes from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the ESV. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians, once again, two, verse four, chapter two, verse four and five. What power in there, right? Absolutely. And by the way, I want to pause for just a minute to introduce our guests in case someone's listening that didn't hear last week. John Brunt, longtime pastor, my pastor at Azure Hills. And in addition to that, New Testament scholar who has his background, his academic training, his doctorate from Emory, taught at Walla Walla University in the religion, was the academic VP for many years. So, and also just a wonderful friend. So thanks again for, for joining us, John. My pleasure. And, and if you did not listen to last week, you are doing yourself go a disservice. Go Please back go listen. back and listen to the wonderful insight that's both scholarly and Christ pointed. Well, let's dive into chapter two, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. So, John, open us up with what is what is chapter two? It's starting here, verses one through 10, but I like how we did it last week. The purpose of this is to get people into the word. So, tell us about chapter two. Well, chapter two is really one of the most amazing and almost unbelievable. It's so amazing. Yes but one of the most radical chapters that you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. What we learned last time was quite believable, that through his great power, God raised Jesus from the dead Mm -hmm. and seated him at his right hand so that now he is over all, everything's under his foot, and he is the head of the church. Now, Ephesians says, he's done the same thing for you. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot harder to believe. I remember teaching Ephesians one time when I was at Walla Walla. It was winter quarter, class on Paul. And uh, winter quarter, it was the first class of the morning. And that means in the winter in Walla Walla, the sun hasn't come up till after the class is over. So the whole class... (laughs) is taught pitch black and it was snowing outside. And when we started class, I knew that some of the students coming into class had not been out of bed more than four or five minutes. You know, (laughs) they'd gotten up in the dark and trudged through the snow and were coming in a little bit late. And once everybody was there, I said, I have a question for you this morning. I want to know how you feel this morning. I want to know if you feel like you aren't really in Walla Walla. You're not really in this classroom. 
but you are right now in heaven. And they looked at me like I was crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Trudging through snow in the dark somehow wasn't their idea of heaven. And (laughs) having to start class that early in the morning when they were still so tired wasn't their idea of heaven either. And so they just kind of stared at me. But what this chapter is saying is that just as we saw in the first chapter that God made Christ alive, now he has co-enlivened you. Paul uses Mm -hmm. a term that puts the little preposition soon that in Greek that comes into many, many English words like, you know, synopsis and so forth, meaning together with. He puts that at the beginning of the word to make alive and says he has co-made alive all of us with Christ. And then he takes the word to raise, Mm. to raise from the dead. And he adds soon with that and says he has co-raised us from the dead. Mm. And then there's the word that in chapter 1 has said, He seated Christ at the right hand of the throne. And now he takes that word and adds soon at the beginning. It wasn't, he he didn't coin that word. It had actually been there, you know, in other contexts, but he uses it in a new context now and says, he has co-seated us at the right hand of the Father at the throne of the universe. So I'd say that's pretty radical. To say that you are already sitting with Christ at the throne of the universe. Uh, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Finish. finish. Go ahead. So I was uh, going to say last week you gave us the picture of the lifeline being thrown down. And now that lifeline has escalated us up. That's right. (laughs) Maybe to review that just a little, there is this, uh, this thing that goes through Ephesians where you have the heavenly realms and then the earthly realms. And in the heavenly realms, you have the throne of God at the top. And then you have these evil powers in the heavenly realms, the things that go beyond us, the the devil's realm, what we don't see. And then you have the earthly realm with the thrones of earthly powers on top. And often they're tied up with those evil unseen powers because they're doing the work of those powers. And they're over us, those thrones of human rulers. And then finally, there's us way down at the bottom. And so last week, we saw that in Christ, God made a gap through that whole thing. But now we see even more that through that gap, he's lifted us up, as you say, Mm. and us way up there at the top. So instead of being way down at the bottom, below the earthly rulers, below the evil powers of the universe, we are now up there with Christ at the throne of God. And I guess one thing we'd, like, we'd need to explore today is what in the world does that mean? Yes. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Love it. We're not there. But so what does it mean to be already seated at the right hand of the Father at God's throne? 
I, I, I'm waiting for the answer. <laughs> well, you were going to give the answer. <laughs> no, I'm on the edge of my That's seat. I'm like, please. <laughs> I'm eating this up. This is great. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's very much the same picture that we get in Hebrews, too, where it talks about that curtain is torn between the holy place and the most holy place. And we're already invited into the most holy place, which would be the place of God's presence where, you know, only the priest could go. And Hebrews says, you know, back in the Old Testament, only one person ever got to go into the most holy place. That's the high priest. And he only did it once a year. And then he did it with fear and trembling. Yes. Where they used to tie a rope to his ankle so that if he died in there, they could pull him out without anybody else having to go in and get killed. So he only goes in once a year. He only goes in by one person, goes in with fear and trembling. And he says, now, with confidence, it's been opened up to all of us to go into the very presence of God. Hmm. And Ephesians is very much saying the same thing. Obviously, it's a symbolic picture, but I don't think we should ever say it's just symbolic. Mm-hmm. Because symbols are everything, you know, they they define our lives. And it's not that it's just symbolic, it is that it is amazingly symbolic of the life that we now live because we live it without fear mm-hmm. of those powers. We live it without fear of whether we are accepted by God or not. Mm-hmm. We live it with confidence because by grace as he's going to go on to say at the end of this, and we'll need to look at that passage too, by grace you've been saved. It's not your own doing. And so therefore, you live with confidence. You're not worried about whether God accepts you. You're not worried about those evil powers. You're up above them now. And so you live a life of confidence. You know, I, I, oh, go ahead, Michael. Well, sorry, I was going to say the same thing. You go ahead, Buster. But the, <laughs> the, 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 as Adventists, we should be eating this up because we're all about the sanctuary, right? The cleansing of the sanctuary, mm-hmm. Bible yeah. prophecy and stuff like that. But, but here we have just a beautiful depiction of what that means, right? I mean, this is the purpose, you know, the sanctuary is the throne room of God. So, but, but here we see that not, not only is it a, a place, you know, but, but it has a purpose. I'm hearing mm-hmm. you right. Yeah. And, and I was going to add to that. What I heard you describe is something beautiful without using the terminology, because I know our audience is constantly hearing the term relationship, a relationship with God. But what you described there is a perfect essence of what that means, of this closeness, of this acceptance, of this communication, of being in the presence of all of this is, is tied into what God is actually after. When he created man in the first place, is he's after this, this wonderful relationship, which actually brings us to, I think, Ephesians 8 there, talking about your, by grace you've been saved and even gets more to that, to that relationship. So can you tell us a little bit more about Ephesians Two eight through ten. Yeah, maybe we should read that passage let's, and let's then, do it. then talk about it because it is so central. It's just you know I think key to the whole picture of salvation. It is two eight to ten. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing; it is the gift of God, not the results of work, so that no one may boast. For we are what He has made us. And I don't like that translation. It's really 
We're, we're God's craftsmanship is what it says. I think. Poema. Yeah. Poema, his poem or yes. in that day could also mean artwork or yes. so that no one may boast for we are what God has made us created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Very interesting, isn't it? The good works are something that God prepared. Amen. <laughs> Not something that we came up with. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, this, this is kind of an interesting passage in terms of structure. You have two fours, which kind of say, you know, because four, two nots and two so that's. Mm-hmm. And the two fours are four, you have been saved by grace through faith. And the second one is for you are God's artistry. Mm-hmm. So you've been saved by grace and you're God's artistry. He, he has he's considered you his poem or his, his painting or his sculpture. Uh, you're God's artwork. He's created you and he has saved you by his grace through faith. And then there are two knots about that being saved by grace. Not from yourself a gift of God, right, and not from works, so that no one may boast. So it's very clear that this doesn't come from us, and it doesn't come from works. And then he says, so that, and here's the first so that of the two so that's, so that no one may boast. It seems to me that for Paul, really, the opposite of faith is boasting. We often think about faith as believing or faith as though giving assent or something like that. But for Paul, the opposite of faith is not disbelieving. The opposite of faith is boasting. Ugh. Because boasting means you didn't get it. That it's <laughs> yeah, it's a gift. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift. You mm. can't boast about gifts. Oh. They're free. Oh. So the opposite of faith for Paul is That's boasting. Good. You're patting yourself on the back. And saying, look what I did, you didn't understand. It's a gift. <laughs> so the first so that is so that you don't boast. And the mm. second so that is that then we walk in these works, which God prepared for us. So it's not pull yourself up by the bootstrap and get with the program and start doing this. It is accept the gift that God has given you. And that gift includes full acceptance by his grace. But it also concludes, includes the way of life that he's prepared for you to walk in. And you don't have to somehow create this way of life. You don't have to get it through works. But you walk in what he's prepared for you. He's, he's not only given you the gift of grace, but then he's laid out a path in front of you and said, all you have to do is walk along with me in it. Yes. You, you know, you, you open up a, another avenue for me to see of just how dangerous it is to boast about having it and not having it at all and how dangerous that is of, you know, I've, I've returned my tithe for all my life and I've attended every church service and I've done all these things and you're braggadocious about it. And as a result of that, you're proving that you don't get it. You're proving that you don't actually have the faith. And that's just, that's eye opening for me. So I, I really appreciate that insight. 
Yeah, it's just a reminder not to not to not to miss it, right? Yes, <laughs> it's easy to it. get focused on. There's a lot of good things. I mean, health. You know what, what we eat or don't eat. All those different kinds of things. We it's very easy to get preoccupied in those and then miss. You know what what they're for. What you know really it's it doesn't make you a better Christian. Although it, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but but right. if I'm hearing what Pastor Paul is saying and what John's been reminding us, we we need to keep our eyes on Christ. And, and when we do get it, we, we just, you know, it's an attitude of, of, of just utter humility and just saying, thank you, Lord. Attitude of gratitude. Yeah. Yeah. It it truly is a gift. The fact that I have my health is a gift. It's a gift. Uh, Right. Sometimes we don't deserve it. (laughs) Yes. We don't deserve it. And I think that's the mentality. Once again, going into the American mindset, the Western mindset of, Mm. of I earned this, I need to earn this. I need to earn this salvation. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. We accept it and we grow in it, but we accept it. The beauty of of living in community centered on Christ. Yes. So, so, Go ahead, go ahead, Michael. No, go, you go ahead. <laughs> uh, I was, I was going to say right above there, talking about community, verses six and seven, and raised us up together and made mm-hmm. us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Once again, mm-hmm. getting rid of the individualistic mindset and bringing in collectively has raised us up together. Can you share a little bit more on that, verses 6 and 7? Yeah, again, it's very communal, isn't it? It is. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And then there's this, so that in the ages to come, he can show. It does give a sense that this eschatology is not totally realized, doesn't it? It's as wonderful as this is that we're now at the right hand of the Father. There's still more to come. So the good news is we have this amazing picture of what he's already done for us. But then it gets even better. There's still more to come because in the coming ages, he's going to show. Amen. So there's even more to look forward to. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I just was saying, and I love how expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, Mm -hmm. God's intentions towards us are ones of of kindness and we talked before about joy those kinds of things that god's you know it's it's a picture of of who god is mm-hmm. and tying back into last week's lesson of of just the image that we give of christ when he comes back the same christ that was meek and lowly here on this earth is the same character that he's going to have when he returns and so I, I think it's important to see that and to not replace them with our own images, but mm-hmm. realizing that scripture is congruent with who Christ is. Yeah. And, and before we go, I, I just want to take this as a one more opportunity because John, I know you're passionate about the Pauline writings and everything else. Just give us a little takeaway from you personally about why the Pauline writings, you know, we're, here we are in Ephesians 2 last week in, in chapter 1. Why, why did they mean so much to you? How did you get so interested? Just a little human interest tidbit here I wanted to, to press you on. Well, I think because of the way they do speak so meaningfully to both the problems of human life and the solution. And the picture of, of Christ as Savior the picture of grace, and the picture of community together, those things, the graces and the community. 
I think, lead me to appreciate uh, the whole picture that he gives throughout these letters. This is one of my favorites. The Philippians is probably my my ultimate favorite of all of them. Please share. <laughs> I was just about to ask that. I was going to say, if you had to leave our audience with a, a picture yeah. that's found in, in the Pauline writings, what, what, what would it be? Well, I, I love the sense of joy in, in Philippians. Uh, I mean, the word rejoice is just all the way through it. And remember how we talked about these, putting the little preposition soon on front. He co-raised us and co-seated us with the Father. He does that with a lot of words about co-rejoicing mm-hmm. in Philippians, that we co-rejoice. And there, there's just this overwhelming sense of joy. I get the idea that real religion leads to joy. And it makes me very suspicious of any religion that, that makes people angry. It seems to me that religion shouldn't make us angry. It should make us joyful. I, I'm going to ask maybe a question that can't be answered, but how do, how do we get there? Let's face it. There's a lot, not only in culture, but a lot deep within our bones that goes against that. And, you know, I have to remind myself all the time. I tend to be a worrier. My, my wife and my daughter keep telling me, you know, don't worry about that. Well, I'm kind of a natural worrier. And so I need to remind myself of this all the time, that I can rest in Christ and be joyful. Amen. You know, I think you, you just finished my sermon for tomorrow, which is we call to have a power of a sound mind and a power, right? But not a spirit of fear and and mm-hmm. I was concentrating on worrying. It's like, well, we should be focusing on the solutions rather than focusing on the mm-hmm. issues. But the, the true solution is rest in Christ. It really is. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate that. And I'm co-rejoicing, John, that you could join us for this episode. Oh. If, you've been, <laughs> if you've been listening, you're, you've been listening to the Sabbath School Rescue podcast. We've had as our special guest, John Brunt. And until next week, this is Soup. And Swoops. Signing, Signing out. out. As we wrap up, we want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Adventist Learning Community, a ministry of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. You can join us each week by subscribing on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Also, make sure you share with as many people as possible. And be sure to give us feedback by rating our podcast and go to our website, sabbathschoolrescue.org, for each weekly episode.